Well, good morning again, and welcome again to our service here at River Oaks. Thank you, Blair Moser, for that beautiful reading. This is part of our emphasis on the gospel for all the nations of the world. I have so enjoyed these different readings in different languages. All have been read by people who are part of our church body here, with the exception of uh, the reading in Hindi by one of our uh, translator missionaries. Thank you again for being here today. This is the weekend we honor um, our veterans. Friday was Veterans Day. If you are a veteran, would you please stand right now and let us recognize you and thank you for your service to our nation. Would you join me in thanking these Thank you so very much. We honor you on this day and thank you so much for your service. November is a month when we tend to see uh, more people coming to our church than normal. That is, more people coming for the first time. We see people coming back who've been away for the summer and beginning of the fall. And one of the questions that new people often ask uh, when they come is, what does this church believe? And one of the best ways to understand what we believe is by looking at what we call our vision frame. I won't go into it in detail today, but on the left side of the vision frame at the top, you see a value listed there, one of seven values, Bible-centered. And I'd like to talk to you about that just for a moment before we get into the message today. What we mean when we say we're a church that is Bible-centered is that our beliefs and our practices flow from our understanding of what we believe the Bible teaches. We believe the 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, to have been inspired by God and preserved by God to teach us, to equip us, to prepare us. Now, someone may ask, well, perhaps Scripture was all inspired by God, but that was a long time ago. How can we trust that what we have today is really the inspired scripture, that we really have the inspired words of God so that that uh, source of revelation from God should guide us in our decision-making and really become a foundation for all of life, not only for our church, but for our members individually. I believe the Lord has, first and foremost, inspired the writing of scripture, as you see in the first scripture up there. If you'd back up that slide just a moment. The Apostle Paul writes that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. The Apostle Peter wrote that Scripture came about as holy men of God were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit such that the words that they wrote were the very words of God. God used human beings to write the scripture, but the Holy Spirit guided them so that the words that they wrote were the words that he wanted written. But that was a long time ago. Those original writings on scrolls and parchments have long since turned to dust. But there's a second miracle that God has accomplished for us, and that is the miracle of preservation. 
having inspired the writing of his words, he didn't leave them to turn to dust on those parchments. But that which God inspired over the centuries, over the years, working through monks and scribes and scholars and others, he has overseen the preservation of his word so that we, what we have today is indeed the word of God. The psalmist writes, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. The sum of your word is truth, the psalm writer goes on to write, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The God who inspired his word has preserved it for us. And yet there's a third work that is necessary for us to really benefit from the revelation given us in Scripture, and that is the work of illumination. Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, appeared to his disciples, and he told them that everything that was written about him in the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. And then the Gospel of Luke 24 and 45 records something most interesting. Luke writes, then he, that is Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, isn't that interesting? They'd been with Jesus for three years, and he had been teaching them the scriptures. But he now opens their minds in a more full way to embrace that the Old Testament really revealed Christ. Here's the point I want to make. The Holy Spirit today still works in us to illumine our understanding so that we can comprehend what God has inspired and preserved for us in Scripture. As a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you never read the Bible alone. You read the Bible in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Over the years, I've talked to people who said, you know, I used to think the Bible was just a dull dead book of history. I'd try to read it. It'd be boring. I'd put it away. But when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible became for me a new book. The Holy Spirit began to open my eyes, and I, I realized God was speaking to me through his holy word. The miracles of inspiration, preservation, illumination. If you'd like to learn more about this, I, I, I want to point you to two resources. One's a little booklet at our resource center you can pick up today. It's simply called Why We Need the Old Testament. The other has to do with a series of teachings Pastor David Holcomb did on the Bible. You can find these on our YouTube channel, a fantastic series about how the Bible was put together. I point you to those things because our church is a Bible centered church. In our teaching of children from Noah's Ark to Kids Rock to our students and youth, we teach the Bible is the Word of God. This is our foundation. This is the basis for what we believe, for what we practice, for how we uh, develop and grow as a church and what we pursue and what we per don't pursue. And I just thought I'd take a few minutes to share that with you um, this morning. Would you join me as we pray once again before getting into today's passage? Father, we pray as the writer of Psalm 119 did, would you please open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law, your word, your inspired truth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're in the Gospel of Luke 
chapter 17. And in the first half of Luke 17, it seems to me like Luke, the writer of this gospel, just goes from topic to topic to topic to topic, and these topics don't seem to be connected to one another or related to one another. The chapter begins with Jesus uh, telling his disciples, uh, woe to those who cause other people to sin, cause other people to stumble. Then Jesus tells his disciples, pay attention to yourselves. That is, watch out for yourselves. Then he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. He says, if he repents, forgive him. And then his disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Then Luke gives us this account of unworthy servants that Blair read for us a few moments ago. And then we have the account of Jesus uh, being called upon to heal 10 lepers. What do all these things have in common? They really seem somewhat disconnected from one another. But I think there's something that ties them all together. And that is that these passages provide expressions of genuine faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to approach our passages that day with this in mind, that we're talking about expressions of genuine faith. A first expression of genuine faith, I think, is seen in the story of the servants, and that is humble servanthood. We read again in verses 7 through 10. Christ is speaking here when he says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty to do. Jesus is essentially saying here, don't be proud uh, of what you think you're doing for God. Jesus, when he says, say, we're unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty, yeah, some, some may think, well, is Jesus saying we're no good? Is he saying we're worthless? Not at all. Jesus saw us as of such worth and value that he gave his life on the cross. He shed his blood there. He saw us as so precious. He died to redeem us to himself. He's not saying we're worthless people. He's simply calling us to serve God with an attitude of humility. Our humility is based on an understanding of God's grace. That all we have and all we are Everything is from him. We love him because he first loved us. We serve him because he first served us. And we serve and obey the Lord because we love him. Do you know it's the very nature of Jesus to serve? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said of himself, he called himself the Son of Man. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. Before going to the cross, he gathered with his disciples. He took a towel, he knelt down, and he began to wash their dirty feet. 
He said, I've given you an example that you should do to one another as I've done for you. The Apostle Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If you were with us several weeks ago in Luke chapter 12, Jesus uh, was talking about his own return. And in speaking about his own return, he gave a little parable type teaching of a master uh, returning from a journey and actually serving his servants. The implication was that Jesus in his return, at least it seems to me, is eager to serve his own people. It is the nature of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the King of Kings, to serve. And so he calls us to humble servanthood. Our motive for serving God is not to get something from God, not to earn a place with God, earn points or earn salvation. No, our motive in serving is love. And we serve because he first loved us and has secured our salvation for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey my words, you'll obey my commands. Genuine faith in this parable of uh, typically known as, or teaching rather, as unworthy servants is simply this. It's expressed by humble servanthood. Secondly, genuine faith is expressed by gratitude. Gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. And now we get to this next little section in Luke 17 where Jesus is called upon by 10 lepers. We read these words. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood, stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You imagine that, all 10 of them? They do what Jesus says. They start heading to the priests, and they're cleansed of leprosy. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What a remarkable thing. Jesus is traveling along, 10 lepers. Uh, they kept their distance from him as they were supposed to do by law, but they called out and said, Master, have mercy on us. They recognized Jesus. They knew he could do miracles. They knew he could heal. They believed that much and they cried out. But Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. That's what the Old Testament called for those who thought they were cleansed of leprosy to do, to go have the priests confirm, affirm they had indeed been cleansed. Jesus is following the guidance of the Old Testament law here. And so if they go, they're all 10 cleansed, but only one of them turns back and begins praising God, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and Luke tells us, now he was a Samaritan, implying the others most likely were not Samaritans. Probably they were were Jews. In fact, Jesus says, has no one uh, uh, returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Samaritans were despised by many of the Jews. 
But it's incredible to me that all were cleansed and only one returns to give praise to God, to show gratitude. The other nine, no, no expression of thanks to Jesus, no expression of praise to God, no gratitude, no worship. And it strikes me that this is in some ways a picture of our world, that the vast majority of people enjoy the benefits of God, the blessings of God, the air we breathe, the sunshine, the rain that gives us food, but don't acknowledge him or give thanks to him. A lack of gratitude is a very serious mark of spiritual decline. The Apostle Paul wrote about this, and he wrote this, speaking of God, he says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, that, that have been made, so they're without excuse. In other words, all people have evidence before them that there is a creator because the creation itself attests to a creator. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. No acknowledgement of God as creator, no gratitude, spiritual decline. That's what happens in the world. That is what the scripture tells us happens. Many people enjoy God's provision but never thank him. Jesus, by the way, modeled thanksgiving by his own life. When he multiplied the food for the multitudes, he first said a blessing. When he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, just a few chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, we read, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus himself, God the Son, the Son of God, giving thanks, modeling thanksgiving. I'm just reminded how important it is for us throughout life to verbally thank God. For the things we enjoy. Parents, especially, I hope in your homes, at every meal, at other times, you are modeling for your children that we give thanks to God for every good and perfect gift that we enjoy. I hope when you go out to a restaurant, you're in a public place that you're not ashamed to bow and give thanks to God for the food that you have. Life of gratitude, expression of thanks to God. Something happens when we do that. The Apostle Paul, in talking about foods that believers can eat, essentially is saying that we're not bound by Old Testament laws, but all foods were cl are clean. The Apostle Paul writes something most interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4 when he says, everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer, thanksgiving, gratitude, genuine exp faith expressed by gratitude to the Lord for what he's done. And then thirdly, we see this. Genuine faith is being expressed in this account of the leper that returned 
by the recognition of the Lordship of Jesus. Let me read these few verses again. Then one of them, one out of ten, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? In other words, where are all the Jews who should have known? And he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that last phrase, has made you well, is a translation of a Greek word, a Greek verb, whose root means to save, to rescue, to deliver. We could well understand it to mean your faith has saved you. I think what Jesus is saying here is that although ten were cleansed, this one has come into a recognition of the lordship of Jesus and his faith has saved him. The Samaritan believed not in simply in Jesus' ability to heal. All ten lepers believed in Jesus' ability to heal. But this Samaritan, he came to Jesus, he bowed at his feet, and he gave praise to God. All ten believed he could heal, only one bowed in worship. It is possible to believe many things about God, about Jesus, that are true, and yet not really know him as Lord. Salvation is more than just believing God can do certain things or even believing God can do anything. It's more than just receiving his benefits. To a significant degree, all people on the earth receive benefits from God. Salvation is more. It is recognizing who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and it is bowing our lives before him and receiving him as Savior and as Lord. And I think this one leper that returned is modeling that for us. Genuine faith expressed by humble servanthood, gratitude to God, recognition of the Lordship of Jesus. These are things Jesus is calling for in the lives of his followers. Now, whether the Pharisees were standing around listening to all of this, I don't know. But the very next verse in Luke reads this way. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways it can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. These qualities of Christ followers that Jesus is emphasizing here were quite a contrast to the Pharisees who were at odds with Jesus. They weren't living out humble servanthood gratitude to Christ and recognition of his lordship. They miss these things. And they ask Jesus, when's the kingdom of God coming? But he is, and he essentially says, it's right here in your midst. I have brought the kingdom. Jesus appeared saying the kingdom of God is at hand, but they did not recognize him. They did not see him. And they did not live out these qualities that he emphasizes in the lives of his followers. Now, as we reflect on <clears throat> these
these passages from Luke chapter 17, I'd like to draw to a close by raising just three questions by way of application. Am I faithfully serving God and his people, not as a way to try to earn something of a place with God, but a response to his great love for me? If you don't have any desire in your heart to serve God, to serve his people, what I would point you to is not work harder, not trying more, but rather reflect on the gospel. Reflect on what the Son of God did when he left heaven and came to this earth to give his life for you. Reflect on the gospel of Jesus. Service flows from love for God. Service flows from gratitude for what he's done for us. Secondly, am I developing an attitude and a practice of thankfulness to God? It's so very important. It's one of the marks of having the Holy Spirit really controlling your life is that gratitude will flow. In fact, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul gives a command, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as he lists the marks of spirit fullness, one of them is found in verse 20, giving thanks always and for all things or for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God. And then thirdly, is the Lordship of Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus, that is, is he in the driver's seat of your life? Is it evident to those around me? Remember, like the nine lepers who were cleansed but did not return to bow before Christ and give him thanks and praise, it is possible to receive benefits from God. It's possible to believe God can do anything, to believe all kinds of things about God without genuinely bowing to his lordship. And that is necessary to gain eternal life, to know him as Savior, and to know him as Lord. Would you join me as we pray about that today? Father, I want to pray for every person here, those watching online, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in each of us to increase our gratitude and love to you for what you've done, to increase our devotion to you. And Father, for any who have simply believed that you can and that you exist, but have never bowed the knee in humility and repentance to your saving lordship, I pray that you would so speak to that person today that he or she would come to embrace you, Lord Jesus, as Savior, Lord, King of Kings. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, in securing our salvation on the cross. May we honor you as Lord by the way we live our lives. And we ask this in your great, great name. Amen.